0: Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest was one of the most dominant pitchers in Major League history. 11-time All-Star and two-time World Series champion Roger Clemens. Brought to you by Ball Street Trading and their free-to-play $50,000 contest during the big game. Download to play, watch, and win.
1: Today's guest has won 354 games, the ninth most in Major League history. He's also third on the all-time strikeout list with 4,672. He won a record seven Cy Young Awards to go along with an MVP award and two World Series rings. It's my pleasure to welcome the Rocket, Roger Clemens. The Game Time, Roger, great to see you. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for asking, Boom. I appreciate it.
1: All right. If there are ever Hall of Fame numbers, you posted them, and we'll get to them a little bit later on in the show. But first, I want you to imagine... What it would be like for you to be pitching in 2021 with all the analytics and all the things that are going on and the amount of strikeouts that are happening. What do you think a season like you and your prime would look like?
2: Well, you're right. It would be something to imagine because, um, boom, I like pitching up in the strike zone. I like moving the guy's eye levels from my split finger down to a, a power fastball up. I really didn't. I, I call them propeller heads. I really didn't worry too much about the yeah. propeller heads were pushing out there as far as all these spin rates, uh, doing a little, uh, personal service stuff with, uh, uh, you know, guys that, uh, you know, different teams. Uh, I think it's a disservice to some of the guys that fall in love with this spin rate and stuff and, and everything. So I have three or four or five hot spots that I talk to the guys uh, about pitching, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, they're pinching you east and west a little bit in the strike zone with that quiz tech because the umpires are getting graded so, so uh, closely. But uh, definitely up in the zone, you can go up. And even if you're maybe below major league average, 88 to 90, 91 right now, you, it's hard to hit that high fastball.
1: Yeah, you know, the the proliferation of strikeouts, though, is maddening for those of us who love the game. And we want to see players hitting behind runners. We want to see bunts. We want to see hit and runs. We don't see those anymore. We see everybody swinging for the fences and launch angles and everything else. I would think a strikeout pitcher like you or the great Tom Seaver, who I'm sitting next to right here as a uh, homage to the great one, um, would have loved to pitch in this era.
2: Tom was a teammate of mine for a short period of time in Boston. I got to watch him up close later in his career, which helped me when I started pitching into my 40s. Um, I'm a power pitcher. I'm not a power thrower, and there's a big difference. I mean, I threw the ball over 100 miles at certain times, but boom, I pitched from 94 probably to 97 miles an hour. I would watch Seaver at Fenway out there in a really tough game, hot day, and sitting at about 88, 89. And then here comes the fourth inning and he's got second, third, and one out and all of a sudden needs a strikeout and boom, I see 92, 93 on the outside, on the outside corner. And I'm just shaking my head, okay. I'm, I'm watching <laughs> a guy who knows how to pitch now and change speeds. You've probably heard it before, pitching's like real estate. Location is the most important thing. Movement is second, velocity is last even though like you alluded to earlier, it's different right now. I think they just, uh, somebody made the, um, the statisticians uh, said that I think the average fastball and it's up for, from the last 20 years is like 93 major league fastball is like 93 miles an hour, but strikeouts, strikeouts are up uh, massively. Um, and again, it's guys pitching up in the zone and, and really just sacrificing location to try and get maximum velocity. But, yeah, you could, have, you could pick two or three old-time, old-school guys. Uh, the days of hitting behind runners and hitting runs, probably not going to see that. You're, those days that you love are probably over. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, you, you may see it when playoff time comes because when playoff time comes, you still have to have one or two horses on the mound to dictate that and you have to play great defense. It still holds true uh, just about in any sport when you get to the playoffs.
1: All right, we're just getting warmed up with the great Roger Clemens. Stay with us as game time continues right after this.
0: Scan this QR code to play Ball Street's big game, $50,000 watch and play totally free. with Boomer Science and is brought to you by Ball Street Trading and their free-to-play $50,000 contest during the big game. Download to play, watch, and win.
1: Welcome back to Game Time. Roger Clemens may have been one of the best right-handers to ever tow the rubber, but he wasn't a phenom growing up when he looked more likely to end up in football than in baseball. Were you a defensive end? Is that what I read?
2: Yeah, you're dead on. Yep, yeah, I was a I was probably better – in high school, boom, I was probably better uh, defensive end than I was pitcher first baseman. But I was a young senior. I graduated at 17, so I was pretty young graduating. So, in my sophomore year, 16 years old, I pitched a little bit, but I threw strikes. So, that's what helped me because we had two studs on our team that threw pretty hard for high school back then in the 80s. And uh, – uh, but when they wet the bed, coach would have me go down and warm up, and I had a little uh, <laughs> fastball I <could> go for <laughs> strikes. Yeah. And, uh, and a little Bugs Bunny curveball that he, he, he to this you know, always said that I, threw, I could throw my curveball for a strike if you turn the lights out in the stadium. So, but I love playing <laughs> defensive end, too. I think right. I took a little bit of that mentality to the mound with me. Can you remember your first game? I can because my number four child, who's a second baseman with the Tigers right now, he was, he was uh, born on the same date that I had my major league start, May 15th. So it's easy to remember. I remember being super cold. The mistake by the lake. And uh, so I got out there and it was it went by in a blur. They were they were double stealing on me. Boom. They were I, I think uh, if I have it right now, you're asking me a question You're trying to go down memory lane here. Um, I think I walked Brett Butler on four pitches or four, four balls. And then yeah. I picked him off first for the first out. He's trying to steal and I picked his butt off. And, then, uh, and and I think I got a no decision and five days later, maybe in Minnesota, I got my first big league win, something like that.
1: I want to move ahead a little bit to 1986. You, you had a 20 strikeout performance. You made it to the cover of Sports Illustrated. And to me, do, going over all of your history and where you started, where you came from, this was the moment that you really broke out. And everybody started to realize who Roger Clemens uh, was. Is, do, do you agree with that?
2: Spot on. You're spot on. That's boom. That's um, I had a little impingement in my shoulder and it could have been leading from my right shoulder playing defensive end. I ran into a doctor that was uh, not very well known at the time in Columbus, Georgia, named Dr. James Andrews. Went down and seen Doc and he said I can fix you tomorrow if you want. You have a little impingement and he did and he told me when I started throwing uh, it's going to feel like you can throw hard but don't. Work your way back. When you get to spring training, try and stay about 80%. That was real disheartening. The reason I tell you that, it was disheartening for me because I got knocked around pretty good. But I think my fourth start was against the Seattle Mariners. And I struck out 20 guys. I had no idea there was a strikeout record. And that man next to you there in that statue had 19. And uh, I think with Nolan Ryan and maybe a Steve Carlton, I think all of them had 19. So I didn't know there was a Red Sox record until they put it on the scoreboard. But uh, you're you're exactly right. Um my teammates call me. I get texts on that on April 29th, uh, just about every year from my catcher, Rich Gedman, to Bruce Hurst, to all these guys. And uh, Hursty always mentioned that he said, He goes, Not only did your life change that night, our lives as a pitching staff changed. And I think Hursty had the famous quote that uh, before I got to Boston, pitching was a second class citizen.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so, you, uh, you became alone. You know, I was gonna say you became known as Lord of the Caves as Sports Illustrated had you on the cover. We'll return with seven times Cy Young Award winner, Roger Clemens, after these
0: messages. Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. Built Ford Tough. It's time for a change. Instead of working from home, work from your luxury suite at Midtown Manhattan's crown jewel, the Kimberly Hotel. Now offering special monthly rates with the most impeccable safety and hygiene protocols to keep you safe. time with boomer esiason is brought to you by ball street trading and their free to play fifty thousand dollar contest during the big game download to play watch and win
1: and roger you talked about uh that 20 strikeout performance and that's where your nickname the rocket came out of right
2: absolutely uh, uh, bruce hurst a uh, fellow pitcher mate there after the game tab me with name the rocket and it stuck and uh, it's I, have, I have probably answer to it more more than I do, Roger. So uh, it's cool to hear the kids say it and everybody. And uh, But, yeah, I had another saying then and there, and it still holds true. It's I said, my only day off is the day I pitch, and that's the way I went about it. I, again, I think that came from my mother and grandmother. My mother told me – I mean, my grandmother told me, if you're going to be a ditch digger, son, be the best ditch digger there ever was. And that's kind of how, um, uh, you know, my family operated.
1: Talk to me about how your routine would unfold as you were getting ready to pitch. So what was the week like for you?
2: But I found out in pro ball, I really had to get a great routine that I could flush and get the soreness out of my body as soon as possible to be ready to go and maybe a short day's rest or normal rest, whatever it was that, that I knew uh, that routine was going to be on. I didn't like to deviate from it too much. I tried to plan my day from that morning when I got up to shower, just like I did when I, I, I'd be showering. I started off when way back in the '80s with a three, five, three by five index card with the hitters on it, where I was keeping stats. That went to a BlackBerry, that ended up going to an iPhone, to where I had to tell my pitching coaches, "I'm not sitting in the meeting texting my friends," you know. <laughs> but like Mel Stodemeyer, Mel knew I was uh, punching hitters in and looking at old notes that I had. Uh, and trying to match those up to our scouts that had come in to tell us about these guys. So in that morning, I woke up, I was pitching when I was in the shower. I'm going over the lineup, and I know at some point they, throughout that game, it's not going to be perfect. So I'm going to have to pitch to get out of some jams. That's what they pay you to do. So I try and install that to the young players that I have it that are more, you know, they, they panic a little bit and uh, get stressed out. But, you know, if you kind of plan on having a, a rough game here or there, you, you know, it's going to help you.
1: All right. Let's talk a little bit about your relationship with the media, because it sounds to me like you're so supremely focused that maybe somebody would take you as being off putting or somewhat disrespectful when you were dealing with the media. Why do you think you had that reputation and what was the impetus of that?
2: Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think just the fact that it's just media driven. I mean, once you get used to the massive amount, you know, for instance, there are probably 20 reporters in front of your locker in Boston and New York. Houston, maybe four or five. Uh, when you come here, maybe Toronto, less than that. So I think you just got to get used to the, the, the masses now. And I would address guys if I thought they got below the belt. Uh, but also what was great, like in New York with Joe Torre. Joe was, I mean, he was great at handling our personalities, but he was famous at, if something got out of whack with the media too, he would call those guys, you know, and, and, uh, and talk to them about it. But I always uh, felt that if I, if it was unwarranted or below the belt, if you would, that, uh, and this was back then. So, you know, when it was, you know, more paper driven and everything like that, not by a touch yeah. of the thumb. Um, so, but yeah, you, you, I mean, there's no one worse that when you don't perform, I, f- I feel horrible standing in front of my locker, trying to ask, you know, answer questions. We'll be back
1: in a moment for more with the great Roger Clemens.
0: Scan this QR code to play Ball Street's Big Game $50,000 Watch and Play, totally free. Game Time with Boomer Esiason is brought to you by Ball Street Trading and their free to play $50,000 contest during the big game. Download to play, watch and win.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Roger Clemens was racking up wins in Cy Young Awards with Boston and then Toronto, but although he came ever so close in 1986, one prize continued to elude him, a World Series ring. After outpitching John Smoltz in the clinching game four of the 1999 World Series, Clemens said, tonight, I know what it's like to be a Yankee. I'm blessed. Well, you certainly were blessed when you came to the New York Yankees, and I'm just trying to I'm imagining that it had to be everything you thought it was going to be, and then some. Especially winning the World Series.
2: Yeah, Mr. Steinbrenner came to Houston a couple of years earlier, and I don't know if it was just that being a Red Sox, not wanting to just jump right into the Yankee, you know, rivalry thing, and you know, like you were punched somebody. Because really, boom, I um, my running mate was the assistant GM, and and he knew that uh, you know I wanted an extra four years in Boston, probably going to retire in 2000. Thought it had been a wonderful career. Uh, you got to realize, and and when I was a Red Sox in the eighties, the Yankees really weren't our rival. They weren't very good. I mean, they had Donnie Mattingly and a bunch of. I mean, they had some good players, but it was the Blue Jays that were super competitive. Then, like you said, when I got to New York, ownership changed in Boston. Everybody got competitive again, and that's when you know heads started to, you know clash again to to really uh, bring that that rivalry up. But Mr. Steinbrenner was great the second time he came here to Houston the second time. He said, listen, I tried to get you and, uh, you know, had had his turtleneck and jacket on, I remember. And very fortunate to have the opportunity to to get in there and and play with those guys and and, uh, win with those guys.
1: You know, towards the end of your time at the Red Sox, Dan Duquette basically said that you were in the twilight of your career, yet you go to Toronto, and then, of course, you win the World Series, you win two more Cy Youngs. Your career seemed like it was just getting started.
2: It was a great twilight. It was a long one.
1: (laughs) It was unbelievable. So as a New Yorker and as a Met fan, as I've told you, 2000 was like, you know, the reincarnation of uh, the Jets and the Sharks. You guys fighting each other, screaming at each other. It was so intense around here. It was awesome baseball. The Mets were good. The Yankees were good. You meet to the World Series, and then all of a sudden you have this moment in time. And I, I'm a big believer that there's always a moment in a particular series or a particular championship game where the game is going to go one way or the other. And to me, in this game, the 2000 game, uh, World Series, is the game with Mike Piazza, where his bat shears off and the barrel of the bat comes flying at you, you pick it up, you throw it back at him, the bench is clear, everybody's insane. But to me, that's where you really actually won the series at that moment in time. Do you agree with that?
2: Well, we, well, first of all, with George, George was teed up pretty good, you know, being, you know, it's his town. And so we knew we didn't we there's no way we could lose this series. We wanted to keep the Yankees on top, uh, you know, being there. So the other cool thing that happened is when we went to Shea, the visiting locker room is pretty horrible. And they have little bitty bars, bar, little little, they're little stool stools they are not even tall. George saw that. Next thing you know, three furniture trucks pull up with sofas and, like, <laughs> big back chairs and, and everything. So he converted that, uh, he converted that uh, locker room into making it, like, almost like a home locker room. My deal with the thing with Piazza, it got a lot of legs to it. But, um, you know, like I said, Mike had hit just about every breaking ball that I've thrown to him. And it was great because in our scouting meet, meetings, we are going to throw fastballs, and you're going to throw fastballs in. So I had no problem with that. I wanted to try and keep the ball in on him. Uh, cause he's strong and he can, he can, you can do some damage there, which he had, like I said, even on my split, he was killing that. So he was getting cross and two seamers. And when I came on him, you're right. his bat exploded? And what's crazy at the split second, I lose sight of the mound, but at the split second, I think I got a line drive coming at me and I break down. As I tell everybody, you can see, you can actually see my impeccable fielding, uh, position fielding feeling the bat. And in uh, that right in my lap, and I didn't, I didn't have no idea he was running, and I turned and I whistled it to our on-deck circle. TV made it look like it was on his shoe tops. It was a good 10 yards from him probably, maybe yeah. less. But uh, it was, you know, it was like I said, he came out, they said some things, and I, and our guys were – we had a couple funny guys on our team trying to instigate some stuff. And then I went to the umpire and I said, give me a ball. Let's get this at bat over with That Everybody wants to see.
1: All right, we'll be back to close out a complete game with Roger Clemens right after this.
0: Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds. Protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Game Time with Boomer Esiason is brought to you by Ball Street Trading and their free to play $50,000 contest during the big game. Download to play, watch and win.
1: We're back with Roger Clemens. Now the rocket himself finds him down to his last strike when it comes to the baseball writers voting him into the Hall of Fame. Last winter, he did receive 247 votes or 61.6%, but 75% is needed for admission to Cooperstown. And he has his 10th and final chance coming up. If you had to make a case to maybe a voter that's watching this right now, what would you tell
2: them? Well, I'd say, boom, I'm very thankful to the guys that looked at the facts and, and have voted for me. It's great. I think it's really cool. Hall of Fame would be awesome. Um, it's kind of dull to me right now after the first year, really to me, because it's just how everything, you know, the 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 stuff behind the scenes and just you know the, just the 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 way that it's affected my family and stuff. It's a date that just comes and goes, but it'd be awesome. But the guys that are voting for me and look at the facts, thumbs up. Thank you very much.
1: So here's a really important question for you. If you could name just one member of the 2021 Toledo Mud Hens to talk about,
2: uh, (laughs) who would it be? That would be my youngest, my little pistol, uh, Cody Clemens. So I get to be Cody, Cody Clemens, dad, when I go to Toledo, which I love. And uh, so he's kicking it, but he's sprained an elbow, glove elbow laying out. So we're hoping he gets that back. It's going to probably take him another 10 days, but he loves it. Boom. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's good for me because he's a position player. If he was a pitcher, I'd probably be a little more edgy <laughs> or nervous. But watching him, I mean, he had an unbelievable college uh, career at Texas. and uh, But, uh, yeah, he's doing his thing. He's got a good group of guys, good um, management team in Detroit. And uh, so hopefully, you never know, maybe a phone call away at some point.
1: They're saying that computer umpires may be coming to Major League Baseball, good or Bad.
2: Bad. Yeah, you still got to have the human factor back there. I like having that. Uh, I liked it when they were American League, National League guys too, because they had their own vision of the strike zone. So that made for some good conversation. And uh, when they would come to the mound, and, and you could, uh, you know, visit with them a little bit. Some of the guys not as much, but the the other guys you could get have some fun with.
1: Plus, I think the umpires serve a bigger purpose. We all need somebody to yell at and uh, to blame. And so, therefore, they do serve that purpose. There's no question about that. Our thanks to Roger Clemens for joining us today and to all of you out there for watching. I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time. your twin grandsons. What kind of potential do they have? Yeah,
2: baby. You did your homework, yeah. Uh, I did. I am, yes. I, I'm Poppy. I'm Poppy Rocket now. I've got the four-year-old twin grand boys, Royce and Klein, and I need a rope because one goes one way and one goes the other way, Boomer. And uh, but yeah, I'm I'm rolling them ground balls right now. They got to before they get a, a, a popsicle, we got to take ten ground balls.